You're either you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. Welcome aboard. It's episode 13 of Riding the Bus, the official I Am a Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota coming your way. Ben Gislason here, Joey Goldstein to my right, and we're off into the season now. We're Our back. first in-season podcast. We're back. We joked about it. During later in this episode, and people will get to that as during we have our interview with Mike Murray, which was just wonderful. We joked about it, and we'll joke about it again. We weren't, and maybe when we said this in the off season, we were optimistically hoping that we would be able to do it, but we also, in the back of our mind, went, "But if we get too busy, we may end up. <laughs> oh, we can't do it." So here yeah. we are. Uh, we have it going, uh, and that's just great for us. We're excited to be back. We were both smiling when we were setting up uh, down here in the locker room today. So, um, yeah. Uh, how are how you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. It's uh, It's been, I mean, what, our last episode was September? Did we do August? one in September? I don't know. I don't remember. I feel like we didn't do it, one in it September. Does, it feels like it's been a while, but there's there's been a lot that's happened between now and then. It's been very, very busy. Um, you know, obviously you're hearing this. We're just getting through opening weekend and that is a crazy week in its own right but we also had a lot happen in the week leading up to that where we had uh you know minnesota was here for an open practice free to the public middle of the day on a tuesday to have 1500 people in the building is outstanding uh to see guys like kirill kaprizov mark andre Fleury, and your alumni come come down here and skate and have some fun and sign some autographs that was outstanding the day before that We've got our golf outing, our annual golf outing, which for the first time in a couple of years we could bring players yes. back to, which was outstanding. Uh, and then, you know, all the just the preparations for opening night, your rehearsals, your run-throughs, making sure everything runs without a hitch, which I think for the most part it did. I think the only thing you could have hoped for for opening weekend to have gone better would be come out on top on the scoreboard. But I think, you know, it's we were talking about it. It is early in the season. We've got a young group there's there's adjustments people are gonna you know figure out along the way but we saw a lot of positives uh in those games i want to get to a couple of things you just brought up open practice and the home opener but before we get there bring us an explore minnesota read because we had so much fun with it towards the end of the off season yeah uh so i like to read again thanks to our friends at explore minnesota for presenting you with the show Joey, what does Explore Minnesota want our viewers and listeners to know about what's going on in the fall up in the uh, state of hockey? Yeah, they want to know. We, they want us to tell you about nature, which I think we're all for. We are. Uh, you know, there's moments everyone should experience, from the prairies to the caves or bluffs of southern Minnesota to vibrant cities, food and theater of the metro area to beauty and tranquility mm. of Lake Country. It's part fact, part feeling, 100% real. Start your dream vacation by visiting exploreminnesota.com. Those reads are so much better when you do them. Yeah, I'm like so glad we've. Them. I'm so glad I I read them so boringly. Listen, I may stumble yeah. over a word or no, two, but we're gonna I, get we're no, gonna get it out there, I and we're gonna, like we're gonna have some do fun. Um, the open practice. Uh, to me, I didn't know what to expect. I was here for mm -hmm. the preseason game. I think it was 2018. I wasn't working with the organization at the yep. time, but I was a friend of the organization, if you want to call it that, which really just means I was doing anything I could to try to get into the organization. <laughs> um, so and here I came, we are. Yeah, yeah, here we are. So I came over and helped on the PR side that day, um, and that was r a remarkable experience. But I didn't know what we were expecting for that Tuesday. Uh, we did have an idea of what we were going to get uh, fan-wise because we had some – 
tickets, if you will, mainly yep. just to help us get ready for security, concessions, yeah. et cetera. Know how many people are going to be in the track building. track who are yeah. going to come. But still, when you get that number, you obviously know you're going to get – you're not going to get the number that you get. You're mm-hmm. going to get something under that. But 1,500 fans for a Tuesday late morning afternoon in the middle of a workday um, in October where there could be other outdoor escapades people want to go on if they're going to take a day off they're going to take lunch off i mean there was a lot of competing factors you think about the heart of fandom of hockey and it's january february the stretch run it's not october Mm -hmm. but to have that in tuesday i just left that day thinking for anybody that wants to come and talk to me and say that des moines is not a hockey town bring it on yeah yeah it was i mean what a way to kick off 10 years in the city too like that's it was i mean yet i think that's probably the number that we had that's well over a 50% show rate, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, I mean, it's a Tuesday afternoon in the middle of the week. Like, and we have people coming down. I, people were rolling in through the doors still up until, like, <laughs> the, towards the very end. People were just on their lunch break, stopping down. Why not spend it down at the arena watching some hockey, getting some autographs? Like, it was just, I don't know. I think it was, you know, toot your own horn a little bit. I think we did a really good job, you know, executing um, with everything that we were given and, and you know all the instructions and, the, and and everything that we had, um, I think the the best quote I heard from the the weekend was in Mark Andre Fleury's media availability. So he's been talking to talked to a lot of the guys who played here, and a lot of them say you know this is one of the best best places to play in the American League, and that's something that I always heard coming mm-hmm. into here, and now that I'm here, I'm I without hesitation would say that this is hands down one of the best places to play in this league. Um, so it's nice to see you know, some of those guys get to experience that. Well, and for Flurry, I think about I had the absolute privilege to get to interview him after the game, which for, or after the skate, which for me was I kind of had to walk away and pinch myself. Mm-hmm. It's Marc-Andre Flurry. Yeah. I mean, just had to talk to him. Wow, wow, just really grateful. But behind me, when we were doing that on-ice interview, was 50 to 60 kids that were screaming the whole time. And I remember asking him, I, I said, Marc-Andre, you I know you have fans all over the world, but did you think you had fans that were going to be coming here wearing wild jerseys, Vegas jerseys, Pittsburgh jerseys, all with your name on the back of them here in Des Moines? He just laughed and said, absolutely not. Yeah. And it's just, it is, it was, it was a really good showing for a place that we know has great hockey people and great hockey fans, but on a grander stage to the National Hockey League folks, it was a, it was an arrival for, I think, our fan base. And, and I think Minnesota got to see that. Um, they got to, and it wasn't just for the practice. They were here for a few days and mm-hmm. talking to Bill Guerin, talking to Dean Evison. Dean's a huge golf nut, loves golf. They played the Harvester golf course. He was blown away by it. They were all blown away by this mm-hmm. golf course. And, I mean, let's think about where some of these guys are probably getting to play golf at mm-hmm. and the, with the, the access that they get as, as National Hockey League GMs, head coaches, players, et cetera. And everybody said Harvester was just spectacular, which I've heard as well. I won't get to play there. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I think it was a home run for Des Moines, a home run for the partnership between Minnesota and Iowa. Not that it needed it, um, mm-hmm. but just the fact that they got to come down here and see it firsthand what this place is all about, not just hear about it, that goes a really long way. I think it's not only a huge thing for Minnesota, too, to see what it, you know the fan base down here and, and the support that we get, but I think it was awesome for our guys to see the NHL team come down here as well. I mean, I know just having, I was standing up at the autograph table I was working, it was right by the North Doors, which is the elevator, which our guys take up and down mm-hmm. towards the locker room. And I remember, you know, I, we finished the autograph session and then 
a huge wave of our guys had just left and they had been done with practice for two hours at that point. So like these guys, it was, I think it was good for them to stick around and see, you know, what it's like when the NHL teams here, what it's like to be that. I mean, obviously the guys go to training camp and all that kind of stuff, but I think it's a little different. Like th these are your superstars, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's to see how our fan base reacts to that. It should hopefully, you know, light a fuse and, and inspire some of these guys to say, you know, this can be you at some point. If you you know you put in the work, you put in the time and the effort. Last thing I'll say on it: we did bury the lead. The real winners were the the fans, mm -hmm. um, and the 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 highlight that'll keep playing on repeat in my head. I was crossing Third Street because I like to go from where our front offices are in Vets Auditorium to where my office is in the arena of Wells Fargo. There's We have a, a walkway under, which I take during the winter. But in, in, when it's still nice out, I like to hop, get outside, <laughs> get some fresh air. I love the fall weather. So I was walking across the street, and that's when I first saw the line. I was like, goodness. And this was maybe 8.45 yeah. before the wild practice. The wrapped Iowa wild practice. around the building almost. And <laughs> I saw a dad and his kid walking up, and the kid had – an original Minnesota Wild, white with the with the gold stripes down the shoulder, greens on the shoulder, like the original. I used to have one. Mm -hmm. um, he had the original Wild jersey on, and he had a flurry hat on. And I just thought, this is a kid who maybe never thought he'd get to see Marc Andre Fleury, get something signed by Marc Andre Fleury, and and here here we are. Um, so to get to to get to be a part of a group that helped set that up and to make some dreams come true, that that's the real cherry on top for me. And that, that's the real, the real to, to, I was thinking of the Shooter McGavin quote, uh, the real winners here are the, the, the city of Texas. Yeah. Man, oh, boy, yeah. you guys must put something in the water. Yeah. No. But the real winners here um, were the fans. And, and to get to experience that, um, I thought was just it was a 10, uh, 10 out of 10. So uh, a big thanks to the Minnesota Wild for, for picking Des Moines as their retreat yeah. spot, which I'm sure maybe some of the players went, what? And then they mm -hmm. left, and I was talking to a few of them, and they went, oh, this place is great. Like, yeah. We'll be coming back sometime. So, um, yeah, a fantastic Tuesday, the weekend. For a lot of reasons, home opening weekend was fantastic. Uh, congratulations to you and the team that you built, uh, the San Jose Barracuda, uh, of course. And <laughs> you raised them out of Listen. the ground. Now, an opening two wins on the weekend. Way to go! Congratulations on that. I should have taken um, my I should have taken my chance to brag about Massachusetts when we were talking to Mike when he gave it to me, and I didn't because I was, no. I now I should have. <laughs> I regret that. This, I know it's been too. It's been too long. I know you bleed red and blue, or uh, red and green now. Yeah. Um, but I had to give that to you. Um, but nonetheless, that first game was incredible. Yeah. I mean, it, the first half of it was not incredible. The Wild did not look good. You mm -hmm. ask anybody in the locker room, and they'll tell you that it was a sleepy start. But when they woke up, and that third period, that three on three overtime was one of the most memorable I've had. Yeah. You had a. You had a two-on-one shorthanded rush yeah. right off the hop where O'Rourke yeah. has that great chance. Um, you have one of the winding seconds. Chafee almost yeah. ends the game. Um, and that was just it was it was wire to wire, wall to wall entertainment in that overtime. Um, and I I think that was as entertaining of a game as you could have gotten without Iowa winning mm -hmm. on night one. I it really was um, just how could you not want to come back? And the next night. Iowa never really got going. They, I, I was talking to some people after the game. It kind of felt like they got to the ledge a few times. They mm -hmm. were close to jumping off the diving board and, and going going in head first, but they just never, they never really got off the ledge. I felt like. Um, but the overarching theme to the whole weekend is 
I mean, I, I should do this, but let's someone should do an average on the, the, the age of this team right now, and I would probably guess it's up there with some of the youngest in, in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a young team. It's early. And young or not young, you've got only 12 players back from a 25-man roster a year ago, so you are going to have growing pains. There yeah. are going to be players that just don't get – what it's like to play with X player or Y player or their new defensive partner. I mean, there was one shift in the first game where I think it was Simon Johansson, and I forget who the other player was. There was a loose puck, and they both sat and stared at it. And I'm like, that doesn't happen at the American League level. Mm-hmm. Only in night one does that happen, where mm-hmm. you have two new players who are kind of going, I don't know yet. Yeah. So I hope no one's I hope no one's pulling the fire alarm yet, because the really encouraging thing for me when we left that night one was when that team woke up, San Jose didn't have a clue. No, they, they had, had no chance. Nothing. And it, it happened like in an instant. It yeah. was, oh, we got one goal, and then I think the guys, you smell that blood on the water, yeah. and it's just instinct kicks in, yeah. and, and you go, and there's going to be growing pains. I think I think it was night one. I think you were interviewing Nick Patan, is that correct, on yep. the broadcast? Yep. And he even said, he, you know, we're still trying to get to know each other a little bit, <laughs> kind of getting a feel for, for lines and combinations. And so there is going to be that, but you also have, like you said, a lot of young guys. Mm-hmm. Some things that work at the junior level aren't going to work here. And it's might understanding a lot those. of things yeah. that, that work yeah. at the junior so level like don't work here. You little things say. like that, but those are all things that are going to be adjusted. I'm like in no way, shape, or form am I looking at this past weekend mm-hmm. going, whew. No. It is going to be a long, no. long 34 more games. Like, the opposite no, no, no. of it, actually. Yeah, I, it's, I feel yeah, very good about it. Yeah. I think we've got a – it's a young and a very talented team, which I know we didn't get to talk to Mike about it, but it's really built from the back end out. you got some strong goaltending, some very highly touted prospects on the defensive end, and you got guys who can score a lot of goals too up front. But that back end is really where you're probably the most solid. And he actually does bring that up. We talked – you've asked him about some of the players, and we'll get to the Mike Murray here mm-hmm. short, interview shortly, but – you said well, who are some of the players aside from the really the, the top-heavy ones, the Chafees, the mm-hmm. Beckmans, the Volsteads, who is a part of the back end, but he, he went right to the decor. He went yeah. to Ryan O'Rourke, Damon Hunt, Simon Johansson, who yep. he went to. Um, but before we get there, Tenure Tidbits presented by Explore Minnesota. What do you got for us, Joey? And then we will get to general manager of the Iowa Wild, Mike Murray. Yeah, we've got a handful of them. Um, a lot of the things that have happened over the last you know couple weeks since we last talked, um, we talked a lot about promo schedule. In the weeks since, we've we rolled out a couple new promos. Um, our whole local concert series lineups is out there. Uh, we had our first one with Jake Simon at the tailgate on opening weekend. But a lot of the bands we've seen in years past are coming back out. Birdchild Duo, Tank Anthony Band, The Sheet. Um, we're going to get some new ones in here. The, the Schmidt Brothers Band will be here. Some other solo, solo artists, some duos throughout the year. So every Saturday night, you can expect that on the concourse uh, all season long. We have, um, obviously, we talked a little bit about with Mike, but our captains have been announced, which I think is a pretty big deal. Mason yes. Shaw getting to wear the C after overcoming more adversity than 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 most players, than, yeah, like, like, than most players yeah, do. He's in their gone whole through career. a lot. Yeah, yeah. so he's <coughs> he's gonna lead the charge and you got guys like Dakota Mermis, Joe Hicketts, uh, Stephen Fogarty all wearing the letters on the support system, which I think is fantastic. Stephen too. Fogarty, who got named alternate captain two days into being in yeah, he hadn't even been down here, which <laughs> yeah, is I thought like, that was it's like you're, yeah. so you're wondering if he is a good leader. Well, that's yeah. all he needs to say right there. Two days and they slap an A on his chest. Yep, we've uh, we've got some new hires in the front office, which I think are important to call out, especially because a bulk of them are on the ticket side, who our fans are going to inter- interact with yep. a lot. So Nils 
Nick and Casey are all new on the ticket sales side. Um, Nils is really helping out on the group side, but Nick and Casey are really you. You're, you Wild 365 members, these are guys you're going to be talking to all the time, which helps because right now, or before they got here, really been Colton kind of doing things by himself for a little while, so it's nice to get him some support. Mm -hmm. And then uh, on the social media side of things, new Twitter admin for everybody out there who's dying to know, uh, Jessica Dunham joined us from the Sioux Falls Stampede, so she's... Good USHLer. I love those USHLers. She is now, she's got the keys to the kingdom. She's the one behind the, uh, behind the accounts, so... Um, she's done a great job. Her first, her very, we had it was wild. Her very first day was the Minnesota Open practice. Uh, Casey's very first day was opening night. So like, everybody just kind of got thrown into the mix, and uh, they've all done a great hey, job luck. so far. Have fun today. Yeah, they've all done really, really well. So that's exciting to have all them all on board. We're we're really rounding out the staff now. That the season's starting. Um, and the last one I got just more of a heads up in our episode that we're going to record next month we are going to have a explore minnesota sweepstakes running uh for some it's a huge i mean what you guys were used to in the past we've run on soul so it's a big explore minnesota prize pack basically like a getaway and all kinds of stuff so uh more details on that to come but we will uh you know let everybody know how they can get involved in that when we run that next month so that's kind of what i got for 10-year tidbits ready to kick it over to mike yeah um a, a wonderful chat with mike as i knew it would be um, he, he's just a guy that is, has so many levels and layers mm -hmm. to him. There's the hockey player, Mike Murray, who we, which we talk about, um, not only at Dartmouth college, but, uh, a, a fascinating couple different stuff, fascinating two seasons of professional <laughs> hockey for, for Mike before he then went on to become uh, summa cum laude at his law school at Suffolk. Um, so th this is a guy that's got a lot of different layers and is a really interesting, fascinating guy. Um, and, and for my money is doing a wonderful job, uh, just not only being a boss to me <laughs> in a lot of ways, um, but just with running this organization and the way he runs it down here is so professional and so firm. I have a lot of respect for this guy. So um, without any further ado, let's hear from him. He's the director of hockey operations for the Minnesota Wild and the Iowa Wild general manager, Mike Murray. Welcome to the second period, hockey fans and Riding the Bus podcast listeners. This is episode 13 of Riding the Bus, the official Iowa Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota. He's Joey Goldstein. I'm Ben Gislason. And with us virtually today, unfortunately, we couldn't line it up schedule-wise while you were in Des Moines, the general manager of the Iowa Wild and the director of hockey operations for the Minnesota Wild. We're going to get into those dual roles. Mike Murray is with us here today. Mike, we've had you on the list of guests for a while, but we wanted to wait till we got into the season with you because more so than any of our alumni guests, you're someone that we can talk about in the now. Mm -hmm. Hockey season is here, so happy belated hockey season to you, Mike, and thanks so much for joining us here today. You bet. It's good to be here with you guys, and uh, yeah, absolutely makes sense. we got a couple games under our belt here now. We've made it through basically a month of training camp with our prospects tournament, the big club training camp, our training, training camp in Iowa, a couple games now. So yeah, definitely some material to talk about. We are going to get into the now, but we do want to 
maybe go backwards with you to start as we do with all of our guests, except for one, as Joey always likes to point out, because I yep. forgot to ask this question to Landon Ferraro when we had him on this summer, but everyone else I've asked it to. You spent a lot of time on the bus in your hockey career or in your staff career in hockey, and this is the Ride in the Bus podcast, so we want listeners and viewers to feel like they're on the bus with Mike Murray. So can you tell us a great bus story or a funny bus story that you think back on and that will never leave your mind from your time on all the miles I'm sure you put on on the bus in your life? Oh, that's a good question. Put me on the spot because I've listened to some of your other uh, podcasts and guests and uh, have certainly enjoyed their stories. Oh, man, I wasn't ready for that one. Uh, as you were um, per, uh, preparing that question there, I guess the one that popped into my mind when I was uh, at Dartmouth in college playing, um, we were on a late night bus ride coming home after a game somewhere in New York, I think coming back from St. Lawrence or Clarkson, you know, January, February, snowy day and our bus driver we had the same bus driver for every trip for all four years and um you know we were all half asleep on the bus and i just remember our our trainer who sat right behind the bus driver yelling at him hey 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 and the bus swerves uh, into the other lane and you hear the bus driver go whoa dozed off there for a second oh my god And every kind of, you know, when the bus swerves like that, you hear somebody yelling, it, 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 it grabs everyone's attention on the bus. And, uh, yeah, I don't think any of us were sleeping the rest of that bus ride home. Oh, he, oh yeah, That's that gives word, me the uh, willies. Oh, oh that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Well, yeah, we're out. So, yeah, well, we're on the bus now. Uh, yeah, so we're, thank, thank, we we're on and we're awake. Yeah, we're on and we're awake. We're awake on the bus. So I always remember that one for sure. Um, how could you not? Uh, yeah. uh, so, Mike, you're someone that, like like many people that are in, within the American Hockey League realm, you have multiple roles, but your roles are obviously two that are extremely integral, not only to the Iowa Wild, but to the Minnesota Wild. And even to some extent, I don't think I fully grasp the, all of your duties, obviously more so with Minnesota are the ones I don't grasp and the ones here. It's a little simpler, at least how you describe being a general manager but for fans and maybe for me a little bit too give us a little bit of what a snippet of what your roles look like between being the director of hockey operations with the minnesota wild and then of course the general manager of the iowa wild yeah that's a good question ben and i think uh, you know the my primary responsibility really and my most extensive time commitment is to being the gm of the iowa wild and that as you know, is really being on site as much as possible uh, with the team in Iowa. I am based in St. Paul, but whether it's at our home games uh, here in Des Moines or meeting you guys on the road, wherever that may be, is being uh, kind of our front office hockey operations presence uh, with the Iowa Wild as much as possible to let the players know that management is there, is watching, is evaluating them. Uh, being there for Tim Army uh, and his coaching staff and our sports staff, the uh, you know the trainers and our equipment guys there, um, and then really being the liaison between uh, the Minnesota Wild and the and the Iowa Wild, so that when Dean Evison and Bill Guerin uh, and us as a hockey operations group are are evaluating um, player recalls, potential player trades. Um, the depth of our AHL roster organization. Um, I can speak. I can speak to that uh, with my firsthand knowledge from from being with the club uh, in that in, in that regard. And then, and then, kind of as that translates to my role with the big club. Uh, yeah, again, it's working with Billy, with Chris O'Hearn, with Matt Sells, with our group there, and, and really just kind of we're, we're an all hands on deck group. We all kind of have our individual res- areas of responsibility. 
Um, but it's we work uh, as a unified group and and kind of the decision making process. And Billy's the ultimate decision maker, but we all weigh in on those decisions uh, and try and uh, provide the best information so that as an organization we're making making the best decisions possible. You've said this before to me to us as a group. We all have very special positions in, in what we get to do. We get to be behind the curtain for a National Hockey League, American Hockey League teams. These are special, special roles. But there's still jobs, and I know there are certain parts of this, there are probably lots of this, these roles that you really cherish, but there are also sides of it that maybe you don't like so much. Can you give us maybe one thing that you think, when I wake up in the morning, I look forward to getting to do this, maybe one thing that I wake up in the morning and Mike Murray says, oh, boy, I don't want to do this today, that's a part of your role. Probably the hardest part, Benny, is, I guess, maybe the unknown of what might come every day. So we have you know, roughly 22, 23 players on our NHL roster, another 25 or so on our AHL roster. And kind of my areas of responsibility is if something happens to those 50 players, there's a trickle-down effect uh, of action that needs to play, take place. And you're very well involved in that as well. So if there's, if the big club has a game on a Friday night and a player gets hurt, uh, that there is a chain of events that unfold there. And if a player needs to be recalled that at 11 o'clock that night after the game, we're making decisions on who that, who that player may be, who best fits that role to be recalled. Then that's getting it. If I'm not with the team, the AHL team at the time, it's getting in touch with Tim army, wherever the team may Iowa may be, whether it's in Des Moines or it could be Manitoba, it could be California, um, you know, notifying that player and somehow getting them to the big club wherever the big club may be. Um, so it's really the unknown of what's coming every day, which in a way is one of the best parts of the job too. But uh, some of that uh, you have to, you have to pivot very quickly. Uh, you may wake up with a plan for the day and it can change very, very quickly. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And there's the reason why when I put my phone on do not disturb before I go to bed at night, Mike Murray is one of a handful of people that, that can get through. gets through the do not disturb <laughs> uh, firewall. Yeah, my phone goes off. Um, there are certain people that, that no matter the hour of the day, you are answering those phone calls. And that works for me and uh, I think a whole network of us. Isn't that the truth? Uh, let's get yeah. to the fun stuff, Mike. Building a roster, to, to me, uh, I could sit and talk to, to people like you who are in the GM chair about this all day because it is so fascinating. There's no one way to do it. Yes, there are certain characteristics that obviously all GMs are looking for, but I guess as best you can, we don't have all the time in the world. You don't have all the time in the world. When you're building a roster, what didn't you know about building a roster before you got into the GM chair that you know now? That it's, there's a lot of moving pieces uh, and there's a lot of vested, vested interests at stake. Um, so especially in the AHL role, building the AHL roster, you have your prospects, your draft picks that are coming in. So you have to make space for them. You have your, your group of players who have already been pros for maybe one to two, three, four, five years that are still um, kind of in their development path and knocking on the door to hopefully become NHL players. And then mixing that with your, uh, your veteran players, you're surrounding those players with. Uh, and in a lot of cases, those veteran players, they still have hopes uh, and aspirations to become full-time NHL players as well. So it's a balancing of all those interests. And, um, you know, it goes from 
what Bill Guerin and Dean Evison want the roster to look like, to what our coaching staff wants the roster to look like, to what the player development guys want the roster to look like. Uh, to what our Judd Brackett and our and our amateur scouts want it to look like, and it's trying to to mesh all that together and, and, and in a sense keep everyone pleased when it comes to opportunity, ice time, playing time. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of interest at stake. Can it be tricky? I mean, when you're looking at the AHL team specifically, can it be tricky to really build that roster when you really you? It's hard to predict who's going to make the big club, who's going to be here, who's not. Like, can you have too many players? Is that like does that come about? Is that a thing? Yeah, I mean, it's you pro- in our positions. Um, we project a lot of what we expect the future to look like. Um, you know, when we're planning in the off season, when we're planning during the season, what subsequent things may look like but nothing's etched in stone uh ultimately as as billy says every day at the start on the first day of training camp it's up to the players to to make those decisions for us and while we may project a player uh is on this timeline or this path they may they may speed up that timeline for us or they may not quite be ready for that and then we have to adjust our thought process of what things may look like. So yeah, you plan and you project. Uh, and then like everything, there are curveballs thrown into that. But the best part is, is that in our organization, which I think our actions speak for it is um, the players dictate um, that timeline. And then we adjust accordingly. And, and and it's never, never a bad problem to have too many good players. And that's what our hope is, is that we have tough decisions to make because the players are, are making us make those decisions. Executing a trade, something that the kids growing up, you play NHL on Xbox and you love executing <laughs> trades, right? When there's literally no skin in the game, it's a bunch of computerized characters that don't mean anything. It's very different when it's very real and you have human beings that are in, in the discussion and that are going to be moving towns and wives and children. But executing a trade, Mike, can you walk us through maybe the, the steps of what, how does a trade begin? Give us like, you know, the walkthrough of the process of a trade, because these are things that Joey will never get to be involved in that. I'll never get to be involved in that. Our listeners won't get to be involved in that. What does that scenario look like from your chair? Uh, yeah, from from my experience, and it's been somewhat limited here, but, uh, you know, working with Billy through some of our, and our management group through some of the NHL trades, um, what do we have, one last year at the AHL level, I think, mm-hmm. one or two. Um each one, each one's a little different. There is no, there is no set um, kind of standard form to follow with on a trade. Uh, some of those conversations take place for weeks, which turn into months until they ta- fi- until it finally comes to fruition. Others are a matter of hours. A phone call can take place in the morning. Um, it piques both sides' interests, and it leads to something being done immediately. Um, and that's, I think, that speaks to where. Our roster may be at the time the where the roster is uh, of the club you may be talking to, the the players involved, the need. I mean, e- each situation is different, and that's, I mean, that kind of speaks to everything with the roster building. Each negotiation with the player is differently. Sometimes they come together very very quickly where there's a common uh, common end goal there, and both sides get there very quickly. Other times, uh, it can take months, weeks, and months to to find that common ground to get something done. So, uh, yeah, there is no kind of set path and timeline, and each 
in each conversation or negotiation or trade talk kind of takes on a life of its own for sure. One of the trades that we had last year, we, uh, in acquiring Brandon Baddock uh, from Montreal, we sent Andrew Hammond to Montreal, bring back Brandon Baddock to give us some size and physicality. He resigns with us over the summer. Can you talk a little bit about like the thought behind having like the importance of having that kind of a person in the lineup? I mean, you, you see Bads, he's a massive human being, right? So how important is it to have somebody like that in your lineup with a team that's pretty young like ours is? Yeah, absolutely. The role that, that Brandon fulfills on our roster uh, and that Cody McLeod had done that for years uh, before and, and the two of them together uh, for kind of the second half of last year there that we had, it's, it's very important. You have a lot of young players who are finding their way in pro hockey and there's quite an age gap age gap to some of these kids in their young 20s to you're playing against men who are fighting for their job and, and their paycheck and to support their families um, and to have that support of your teammates, guys who have been there before, know that they have their back and makes everyone feel a little bit more comfortable on the ice. And and, and it's not and it doesn't just all fall on Brandon's shoulders either. I think that's one of the things that's one of the things that Tim Army stresses with our club is kind of that team toughness mentality uh, you mess with one player, um, you have 20 other guys that got their back uh, right there. And uh, Brandon is certainly a big part of that, uh, a leader in that role, as you can tell, uh, in the style of play uh, that he brings every night. But he's also uh, a hell of a hockey player, too. You know, the the, the type of player that, uh, you know, your old-fashioned goon who is just out there to fight a couple times a night and do that night after night after night, um, that type of player doesn't really exist. If you can't play hockey, it doesn't matter how tough you are. Uh, you can't play at the AHL or NHL level anymore. And uh, so it's a credit to, to Brandon and Cody before that um, to bring the style of play that they do while being you know positive contributing members to the, to the club every night as well. I want to get into to more of the path, Mike, how you got to where you are now. But before we get there, I know that there were some fan questions that you had uh, from the Twitter side uh, yeah. to get to before we sort of get off the wild train and get onto more of the Mike Murray train. I, I didn't want I didn't want to go over. I know you had those written on. I didn't want to go over the head. Yeah, no, that, I thought there were some really good questions. Yeah, for the fans and the, this. some of them we 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 even just answered uh, in some of those some of the ones that came up. Uh, I guess the first one on here we saw uh, last week. Minnesota comes down, had an awesome day here with the open practice. Yeah. In the past, Minnesota has come down for a preseason game the success that that had with the success that the practice had is that something that could potentially be in the works in the future to get another preseason game down here for the wild yeah i think that was a great experience for everyone really it was nice for the community of des moines to see kind of uh the nhl stars come down for the day and and then i think it was especially special for the players that have come through iowa and graduated to the big club uh you know recently matt boldy Kalen Ass and Marco Rossi, uh, you know, Brandon Duhame before that, Connor Dewar. Um, you know, it's nice for them to be able to return to kind of where their pro career started for them and get to see a lot of familiar faces and, and for the fans to enjoy that and kind of rekindle those relationships as well. And then for the guys who haven't been here, for kind of our superstars, Kareel and and Flurry and Net. Um, you know, Flurry played in the AHL for a time in Wilkes-Barre, and I think it brings back a lot of special memories for those guys, uh, kind of where where it all started for them. And and as an organization, it was great um, just to see the involvement and the energy it brought to the day for us, kind of our team retreat with the big club being back here. 
Um, yeah, it was it was a special day, and and for the big club, a, a good few days down in in the Des Moines area, and I certainly something I can see in the future. Us, uh, you know, reliving in, in in some form or another. Awesome. And the other question, kind of a, a combo, the one one of the ones that I had written down. So obviously, we talk at nauseum about you know the guys like Jesper Volstead and Adam Beckman and Mitchell Chafee, you know, these guys who are the, you know, the, the higher prospects on the, the depth chart and things like that. But who are guys who are maybe flying under the radar who f- wild fans should keep an eye on? Who's someone you expect to really have a breakout year? Who are guys like that in your mind? Yeah, I mean, you named, you named a few names right there to begin with. I mean, uh, you know, an exciting one certainly is, is the second half of the year that Mitchell Chafee had. You know, he turned into an elite scorer. Uh, in the AHL, and we certainly hope to see that continue for him as well here this season and carry that momentum uh, of what he did in the second half of the year for us last year. And then, um, you know, as an organization, we're really excited about the three blue blue liners, the the kids that we've incorporated to our blue line group there with um, with Rorke and Damon Hunt and Simon Johansson, uh, kind of all coming here at the same time and um it's nice that they can lean on each other as they're beginning their pro careers i know simon played uh professionally uh back home in sweden for a few years so technically not you know a, a rookie for, for for pro purposes but uh a rookie in north america here and the three of them going through that together um and and that they've been surrounded by uh you know potentially dakota mermis when he becomes healthy um if we see him on our roster and joe hicketts who is here uh, Turner Ottenbright, who's been uh, a mainstay in our locker room the last few years. Um, you know, Andre Schuster, who's up with the big club. If we're healthy, you know, he may see t- may see time here. Um, so it's it's an exciting group that we've put together on the blue line that we're they're really looking forward to seeing kind of our recent draft picks of the last few years finally here in Des Moines and starting their careers. Now we really saddle up on the bus and we're going to dive deep in, into Mike Murray now. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what I always like because I think as guests on things, we like talking about ourselves. So I'm looking yep. forward to not only getting some stuff out of Mike, but we've got a few things I think that'll surprise him, which is always fun. Yep. Um, so I, I want to take it back prior to when you, you came into the Minnesota Wild organization, better part of a decade with the American Hockey League office. Um, you were the guy fielding the, the angry phone calls from people like yourself or coaches or who, who, who have you. But give us the, 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 the role of the vice president of hockey operations in the American Hockey League. You were that and, then of course, executive vice president with the league for almost a decade. Yeah, it was nine years uh, at the AHL League office there in Springfield, Mass. And uh, I'm very thankful for, for every day of that time as it prepared me uh, for my position now to uh, to step in as part of the management group with, with Billy in Minnesota and, and my responsibilities here with the team in Iowa. And, um, yeah, it was really all things hockey operations related. You name it, I was involved in it from uh, – the scheduling um, to the, the player discipline to the officiating to our rules, regulations, bylaws, all of that. It was just a daily, um, daily team servicing, I guess you could say. And uh, you know, our, our kind of joke in the office was, uh, unfortunately, the phone never rings for good reason, though. Someone's <laughs> always calling. Uh, and they're not usually telling you that you're doing a good job. So, uh, but uh Again, it was, uh, I wouldn't give back a day of it. Uh, it was a great nine years and, uh, again, helped me be prepared to do what I'm doing now for sure. 
I don't expect you to name names, but could you give us the gist of maybe one of the angriest phone calls you ever received and, and what maybe that entailed? Um, you know, is not surprisingly, you know, when you get into the playoffs, uh, tensions are obviously a lot higher, right? Um, and the deeper you go into the playoffs, everything becomes magnet magnified. And, um, yeah, and everyone's a little bit more on edge around then. So it's not it, it, it's not really a specific team or instance or situation. It's more so every spring for nine years, <laughs> from basically April to June. Um, you know, things were a lot more tense. And, uh, you know, I worked very closely with Dave Andrews, uh, the former president and CEO of the AHL. And he and I really worked through every hockey, hockey operations and on-ice related issue for those nine years together. Uh, you know, we leaned on each other and that was kind of our inner support system, uh, he and I, and, um, you know, he always said that he could, he could sleep easy at every night because every, every decision we ultimately made, we did with the best interests of the AHL in mind. And, uh, and probably you ask anyone, they probably weren't always the right decision, but at least we were trying to make the right decision. Do you feel like you maybe have an edge because you know the way that the league thinks if you're trying to maybe not get your way but get your point across if you are now on the other side of that calling from the team side? Yeah, I think certainly my my background and kind of my knowledge knowing the ins and outs of a lot of the rules and regulations which in a sense I helped write a lot of those and form and craft <laughs> and and discuss with people over the years. So yeah, knowing the ins and outs um certainly helps and in a lot of respects saves a lot of time too instead of having to call the league office to get clarification on how something works or you know if if you have a question or somebody in our front office or timmy or the coaching staff any of our hockey hockey operations group has a question or billy or or the rest of our management group for that matter um more often than not i i kind of know the answer right off the bat instead of having to go look for it so it's uh yeah it's definitely helped with uh kind of my daily daily application of what I'm doing. You've seen players on the other side of the table, if you will, from a a, a front office perspective in the American League office. Now you're on the front office perspective in the team side. How do you think players as personalities have changed from a coaching slash management to player relational perspective in the last decade? Uh, That's a really good question. And it's interesting. So within the locker room, as I kind of touched on earlier, you have a very wide range of, uh, of ages and experiences. You know, last year you had Cody McLeod who played his thousandth pro game. Uh, and you have uh, 19, 20, you know, this year, Jesper is still 19 years old. You have 20 year olds in the room that are, they're not just trying to find their way as hockey players. They're still trying to find their way as people. Right. I mean, I remember back when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, and I can't imagine being in the environment these guys are in, the pressure, the high stakes, um, the influences from their family members, girlfriends, wives, agents, friends. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on these guys and, and on these kids for that matter. And so they're trying to navigate turning into adults and grown men, uh, all while trying to fulfill dreams um, that there's lots of high stakes involved as well. Um, so it's it's really interest, interesting to me, just the dynamic you get between from individual to individual. And that's and that's also one of the fun fun and challenging parts of the job that, uh, that Tim Army and I discuss 
really daily is how to connect to each individual uh, to get the most out of them, to help them grow as people, grow as hockey players, to prepare them to be good uh, someday, hopefully for the Minnesota Wild, but also on a daily basis for the Iowa Wild as well. Um, it's it's managing kind of the the short term short term and long term goals of that, and and relating to every player is different. It really is what how you interact with the Cody McLeod is going to be different than how you relate to, um, you know, and Adam and Adam Beckman, for example, just you know throwing out his name as a young up and coming player, um, and anyone in between there. Uh, it's it's managing personalities and everyone is different and, and unique and it's uh it's fun and challenging all at the same time one of the most profound things that i love about people that work in our sport and probably in any sport but obviously hockey is the realm i know so i'm going to relate to that we all have moments where we looked around and we thought what am i doing here and why am i doing mm-hmm. this and one thing that i've learned from your path uh, on the way to where you are now as general manager of the iowa wild is you did don the Louis the Lock Monster uh, mascot outfit uh, at yeah. a local elementary school at one point in time. Can you take us back through that experience uh, and how that came about in the now story of Mike Murray, the general manager of the Iowa well, I, Yeah, I guess that goes. There's no job that's too small or, or, or unimportant for, for anybody out there, right? And, you know, the story of the people who work in the mailroom and next thing you know, they're the president or CEO of the company, right? Uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, I did an internship in college, um, you know, during, uh, during off time in between semesters or whatever. Uh, with the little lock monsters of the AHL at the time. And yeah, the, there were times where I had to go do school appearances uh, as Louis the Lock Monster. I marched in a parade. Um, so it's funny whenever I see uh, a mascot walking by, I feel a bit of a, a kinship uh, of being part of the fraternity at one time or another. But, um, you know, that I mean, I guess that kind of goes to advice to anybody is to never say no to anything, really, right? Um, and uh, every experience you can get is a good one, and someday uh, you can look back at them all fondly, hopefully. Before we transition to the player side, I had one final question to ask about. I've been told that perhaps the most awkward discipline phone call that you ever had uh, was while you were working in the ECHL, actually, and it involved some family members. What can you tell us about this phone call? Good research, Betty. Yeah, so um, <laughs> prior to my time at the AHL, I also held the position at the ECH. I worked the ECHL league office for three years as well. Uh, and for two of those years, I was the VP of hockey ops there and, you know, all the same responsibilities that I had at the AHL. And, and at the time, my younger brother uh, was playing in the league in the ECHL. And our dad, who is who is a player agent, uh, represented a number of NHL players and whatnot, uh, you know, was also obviously uh, representing my brother and uh, and uh, my brother, you know, he played with a bit of an edge and, um, you know, he uh, crossed the line one time and we had to have a, a hearing, a discipline hearing with him. So on that call was me, uh, my dad and my brother <laughs> in a very <laughs> professional setting. And, um, you know, we all handled it very professionally and, um you know, at the end, it was, all right, bye, Dad, uh, tell him I'll give her a call later tonight. And, um, 
Well, I remember you did end up suspending my brother and um, for a couple games. And I remember he called he called me back uh, later that night or the next day, whenever we made the decision. He was he was really pissed at me, and he goes, <laughs> "Well, there goes your Christmas present." So, <laughs> how many so, uh, how uh, many we, times has that come up now later on in life, in family gatherings, times you are together? I'd imagine that's a pretty memorable experience for the Murray clan. Oh yeah, we joke about that one all the time. It's really, and I and I and I jokingly tell them, well, "You're lucky it was. I think it was a two game suspension. So you're lucky it was only two games." Yeah, I so. could have doubled that one up <laughs> in a hurry, Chris. <laughs> yeah, uh, we 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 have fun with that one. Mike Murray, the hockey player, you brought up Dartmouth. It's where you played collegiately. Um, who was Mike Murray, the hockey player? What were the things that helped you get to the highest levels of college hockey, playing Division One hockey at Dartmouth? Yeah, I mean, I uh, getting the opportunity to play college hockey at Dartmouth. Uh, when any when anyone ever asked me how my experience was there, I always say I can't imagine having spent four years anywhere else. Uh, I loved um, I loved the school. I loved the hockey there. Um, my best friends are my teammates from there still. Uh, we keep in touch with uh, regularly, and um, yeah, it was fun. We had some pretty good teams um, at the time while I was there at Dartmouth, and uh, and it was fun. It was just a great experience. Uh, I look back with fondly uh, all the time, you know, just your mind drifts back to those times and it was great memories. And in me as a player, um, I, I used my head more than my, more than my brawn, I guess you could say to get as far as I could. And uh, yeah. And then after Dartmouth two very um, unremarkable seasons of uh, low level minor league hockey that I know I got the most out of what I could do as a hockey player and was as far as I was going to go, and it was time to uh, to find a way to, to stay in the game of hockey after that. So I'm going to disagree with that statement about unremarkable because remarkable doesn't always necessarily have to mean you scored 50 goals in a season because I look at your first year out of school. Cincinnati Cyclones, Reading Royals, Richmond yeah. River Dogs, Augusta Lynx, Miami Manatees. By the way, some of these names what are outstanding. Name. Trenton yeah. Titans, Adirondack Ice Hogs, Corpus Christi Rays. With a Z. That's Yeah, with a Z. With a Z. That's eight teams in one calendar year, Mike. Did you ever take your stuff out of your suitcase at that point? I was trying to find my way and I wanted and I wasn't ready to quit or give up on it yet. And then the second year I found a a good place in Kansas Mm -hmm. city for the whole season, which was nice to, to kind of go through a season, start to finish in the same place and really enjoy uh, being a part of a team for, for the full season. And at that point, know that, yeah, that was, that was enough for me, that experience and know that was as far as I was going. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly times that I am I'm very glad I went through that experience, one for my own peace of mind, but two, I, I absolutely bring all those experiences to what I do here on a daily basis. I certainly didn't do it at the highest level or even anywhere near to the AHL level, but I think uh, the experiences are relatable to about to what a lot of our players are going through and uh, whether you're recalling or sending a player down or, or in, in those conversations, telling a player at a training camp that he's being sent down to the AHL or, or in Iowa when they're being sent to the ECHL. Um, yeah, I sat in that chair. So I know, I know the feelings, what that player is going through. And, um, yeah, I am very sympathetic to that and, um, and try and, um, you know, relate to the player as much as possible in those because I know it's it's not easy these are these are not just players wearing jerseys and jersey numbers there are real humans and emotions uh, underneath that as well 
Richmond, Adirondack, and then the full season you played with Kansas City. All UHL teams, which the team, the Danbury Trashers, has come out and become quite folkloric amongst the hockey community after that documentary came out. Did you ever play against Danbury? And if so, any memorable stories from those games? No, fortunately not. That, <laughs> fortunately was, the not. Same, that was the same error as that documentary. We just, Kansas City happened to be in the Western Conference, and fortunately they were in the Eastern Conference. So we yeah, never thank God. played them. <laughs> But I played against a whole a whole number um, of those players, as you know, they had been in different uh, organizations at different times. But really, the the funny part is that year in Kansas City, that was the year of the NHL lockout. Um, so a number of players, there was the team in that in Missouri uh, that year. So a bunch of St. Louis Blues players were playing uh for the missouri team and there was the motor city team in detroit and a bunch of the red wings players were like i was here chris chelios was playing for that motor city team so uh you know in a way you're competing against nhl players at uh, a league uh several levels below the nhl but it was a great experience uh, measuring yourself up against those guys Lastly, for me, Mike, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. Summa cum laude from Suffolk University. You have your JD, your law degree. I got to bring it up because I got a wife who's in law school, so mm -hmm. she'd be mad at me if I didn't bring it up. This is really one of the big ways that, that people that maybe don't get to the likes of a Bill Guerin get into the GM chair. Why, why is the, the law side so connected with people that want to get to the general manager chair like you have? Why does that aid in making you uh, a candidate for a position like the one you've gotten. I'm sure the position you're still looking to get maybe someday too. Yeah, as, as I realized my on-ice career was only going to take me so far and I knew I wanted to stay in the game of hockey, it was, it was a means of how can I distinguish myself mm -hmm. from everyone else who wants to say, you know what, I want to work for a team. I want to be the GM uh, of an NHL team. And so I use that as a means to essentially be a resume builder to to distinguish myself but at the same time those three years were invaluable to what i learned it teaches you how to think differently um you know i certainly made sure i was taking elective courses on labor law employment law you know uh, working with cbas um i had a internship at the mass port authority uh, in massachusetts so i was working with unions um all connected to the airport and transit system uh in massachusetts and yeah it wasn't a very glorious job and was far away from uh working from an nhl team as possible but the things i learned there i absolutely apply to, to what i'm doing uh on a daily basis uh you know it, it it's a lot of the same thought processes just a different industry really um so again i i have no doubt i wouldn't be where i am now without without that law school experience and um I really enjoyed it too. It was, uh, I was really interested in my studies and I was in school in Boston at the time and had a, had a great, had a great uh, experience there during the three years. I got a couple more questions. I was going to say, just, he brings up Massachusetts. No, I was no, just waiting no, for you no, to jump no. in now. I'm not yep. going to ask the Massachusetts <laughs> question. I know that's your big thing. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I, I do want to talk about, you know, you talk about obviously law schools, hard work guys, you know, you know, paying your dues, really putting in the, the effort, Fans caught a glimpse of it uh, last week. We put the announcement out that Mason Shaw was named, you know, captain of the Wild for this year. This is a guy who's gone through some major injuries. He's really, really put in the time and the effort, and now he's getting rewarded for that with being captain, with getting those recalls to to Minnesota. Can you kind of give us some some insight on the decision behind why Mason was the guy to lead the group this year? 
Yeah, and those are conversations that started between Tim Army and myself, and I give Timmy credit for he really kind of spearheaded that push for Shazi to, to wear the C this year, and, and it really stems from the, a lot of the reasons you just said. I think this is his fifth, fifth year in the organization now, um, and, the, and I said when we presented it, he's really the heartbeat of our team here in Iowa, uh, the energy he brings every day, the leadership he provides, not just in, in kind of the spoken leadership, but the way he goes out there and demonstrates it every day, every practice, every game, every shift, the way he plays with his heart on his sleeve. Um, and yeah, he's overcome a lot off the ice as well with his injuries. And he, he has overcome all of that to push, put himself on the brink of becoming an NHL player and is an NHL player. I mean, he played, uh, already a recall this season. Uh, he played his way into that last year uh, for the first time. And I think, it, it, as we touched on earlier, it's up to him to continue to push the envelope to to hopefully, in his eyes and as an organization, become uh, a regular, everyday NHL player. Um, and just kind of see one of our kind of home homegrown players uh develop and grow over the course of his professional career to this point. And again, it's, it's an example for the younger guys, uh, our recent draft picks, our new guys uh, of what it takes to be successful. Um, and, and a lot of times in the AHL, when you wear the C it's a lot of times it's veteran players who that opportunity and that door has closed in their careers, but that is not the case for Mason Shaw. He, uh, he is, is very much in consideration for uh, recalls and opportunity with the big club. And the fact that he's wearing a C will not interfere with that decision-making process at all when it comes to, when it comes to him knocking on the door based on his performance to, to wear a Minnesota wild Jersey. On that leadership subject, I mean, looking at a lot of the, the new face that we've brought in this year, one common theme that most of these guys have is at some point in their hockey career, they've worn a letter, whether it was in college or in juniors or on the national you know, the national level at some point. Is that something that you and, and Bill are actively looking at when you're trying to figure out which guys you want to bring into the organization? Are you looking for guys with those leadership qualities? Yeah, absolutely. And I consider that an organizational mandate from Billy uh, on down to Judd Brackett and, and, and our amateur scouting staff there that he leads. And, and not necessarily does the player wear a letter, but do they exude those leadership skills that you're looking for? Um you know, that's, are they are they a good teammate? Do they do the right things on and off the ice? How do they treat people? Uh, what is their work ethic? You know, all those things combine into kind of those leadership qualities that you talk about. Uh, there's no set definition of it, but when you spend enough time, uh, like Judd and his, and his staff do, around these players, watching these players, talking to their coaches, speaking to the kids during the season when, when they're allowed, uh, during the interview process, the combine process, uh, leading up to the draft, you really get to know these kids and, and absolutely those are the, the type of uh, qualities and a person that, we, that we're looking for. And one of those guys being Sammy Walker and, and that's an interesting situation with Sammy Walker because you get a lot of guys who are these prized college players who decide to forego their rights with the team that drafted them and they essentially become a free agent and so there's a lot of you know, you gotta you gotta sweet talk and you gotta wine and dine these guys. So obviously for, for Sammy growing up in Minnesota, playing for the hometown team is, is an easy sell. But I'm sure there's more to it than just that. I mean, what did what was that what were those conversations like between you and Sammy and his agent trying to get him to sign with Minnesota? 
Yeah, I mean, Sammy was, it's it's a unique situation where he was drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, the CBA allows after the senior year, if he does not sign with the team that drafted him, uh, he can become an unrestricted free agent that summer. So we had um, the same opportunity as every other club to sign him, to sign him, uh, you know, kind of midsummer there. And, and I think it's a credit to Sammy that he, he wanted the challenge of coming to try and, and play for his hometown team. A lot of, a lot of people would want to, well, I'll try and go elsewhere. There's too much pressure, you know, family, friends. He, he's from the Twin Cities area. He went to the University of Minnesota. You know, maybe it'd be good for me to get elsewhere. But I think he has embraced that challenge of, of one, wanting to sign here uh, and the opportunity that we were providing. And now he wants to come and he wants to become a Minnesota Wild NHL player, and his career is off to a great start here. He is, he is a great kid. I think a two or three time captain at the U. Um, he again, he he exudes those qualities of a hockey player in person that we're looking for, uh, and the way he skates. Um, yeah, he's just starting his pro career, but the future is very bright for him, and we are very happy that we were able uh, to get him signed and into our organization this summer. My last question. Uh going back a little bit more on the GM side of things. So Tom Carver is someone who is beloved by this organization. Um, what did it mean for you to be the one to take over for him after his passing in, in 2021? And then is there something that he taught you that, or you've learned from him that sticks with you to this day that kind of helps you day in and day out? Yeah, it's, that's a really important and good question, Joey. And I'm, I'm probably the person least equipped from our, organization to speak about TK because I, I really spent the least amount of time from him from Billy and Chris and Matt uh, as part of the management group with TK there before I came in and then Tim Army and the coaching staff here where, where he worked very closely but but I was fortunate in my position with the league office where for a few years I did get to to deal with him as he was kind of you know the Iowa GM and representative for Iowa so he and I would speak uh, occasionally on the phone and um and in those experiences, I really enjoyed every conversation with him, with him which, uh, which getting to know him a little more closely in the, in the year that we kind of overlapped and worked together for the wild. Um, I leaned on him during those times and, and now knowing that that's how everyone thinks of him. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy and fortunate that I had those limited exposures to him that I did and, and, and my biggest takeaway is the way he treated people. I, I carry that with me every day is how he treated other people. He didn't know me from, from Adam uh, when I worked at the league office, but every conversation we had was meaningful to me. And I, I appreciated every one of those and the way he treated me as opposed to maybe some other people around the league may not have. And, uh, and then the way he accepted, accepted me to the staff here uh, during that time and, yeah, that is my biggest takeaway with him. That again, uh, a daily reminder is the way he treated people, and I and I have applied that to my everyday life. Absolutely. To conclude, Mike, <clears throat> Joey, myself, you are all examples of people who played the game. You at a much higher level than Joey and I, um, but and did what we had to to stay in the game. Uh, there are countless examples of this of people who fall in love with the sport of hockey at a young age and then realize they're not going to make it, but they say, maybe I can make it doing something else. Why do you think hockey does that? Why do you think it grabs people and it doesn't let go? 
Uh, that's I, I I hadn't really thought of it that way before, but it's interesting. Like my and, and my personal experience, my family. So my dad played college hockey. He played college hockey at Boston University. Won two national championships there in the early seventies. Uh, has been a player agent for you know his professional uh, career. My older brother played hockey. I played hockey. My younger brother played hockey. Uh, I really just think it's my mom supported us driving us to rinks all over creation, the early mornings, all of that, you know, everyone kind of has the same stories, the skating, frozen ponds, backyard rinks, whatnot. Um, yeah, there's just, it's hard to really put into words how special it is. And um, I can't imagine my life without hockey. Um, it is it is special to my family. It is special to me. Um, it has provided me, uh, an adult life that I, that I hope to continue being a part of for, for the, for the rest of my time working. And, uh, and I hope to bring that to my family as well. I think it's just, it's a way that you can connect within your family to other families. And you're in this special community of other people who are going through the same experiences as you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, uh, how you do it, you're all going through it together. Uh, and everyone has those same shared experiences and it's a, it's a really, cool thing to be a part of. Well, Mike, this has been a shared experience that I've thoroughly enjoyed. Thanks so much for this time today. I know our fans are going to love this, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you shortly here, uh, coming up when the Wild obviously are back in town uh, to take on uh, upcoming opponents in November. Absolutely. I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was fun uh, talking uh, all things Iowa and hockey with you guys. A giant thanks to Mike Murray, general manager of the Iowa Wild, as well as the director of hockey operations for the Minnesota Wild. Had a great chat about those dual roles, which mm -hmm. have always intrigued me. That's a lot of work for, yeah. for one guy to do. Um, but, you know, the one thing I, that I, I think Mike does so, so well, and as someone who is one of my direct superiors, and I deal with him a lot, is he treats people with such kindness, but he knows how to get things done as well. Because as a boss, I think sometimes it's easy to be almost too much of a player's coach or too much of a, of a hard-driving taskmaster. Mm -hmm. He, at least in my opinion, has found that nice line between where you respect him, but you know that you need to get your job done too. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's not going to give you too much leeway if you're not doing what you need to do. So, um, But uh, some really fun stuff there from Mike. It was fun to get him a little bit out of the GM role GM mode there mm -hmm. and and get him rehashing some old stories obviously dressing up like Louis the Lock Monster got a good <laughs> smile out of him too really good stuff from Mike and a big thanks to him for taking some time for us as he's maybe even busier than we are yeah I mean I think it's just a good sign of a good leader you know to be able to operate that way and we see this saw the same thing with Bill and when we interviewed him over the summer I think the two are kind of cut from the same cloth and have that same build up and I think that's why they work so well together you know it's interesting to pull back the curtain and see how they're constructing a team, what they're looking for within certain guys and things like that. So uh, a great conversation. It's another and, uh, one where the architecting of a hockey team to me is one of those things that I, I could spend hours listening mm -hmm. to people who have done it. Um, whether it's Bill Guerin or Lou Lamorello, or I mean the, the, the stories that you'd hear and the pressure cooker situations that some of these these people have been in where you're trying to get a deal done on deadline day or you're just trying to get a deal done, period. Yeah. That stuff to me is just riveting. So it was fun to take a few layers off the onion with Mike there. Um, and 
we'll look forward to doing it, uh, talking about that maybe again with him later on down the mm-hmm. road um, as our podcast continues to unfold. But we're excited about the in-season version of this podcast. Yeah. And, and that, I, I think, for our, our fans, too, we got to talk a little more in the now, where I think during the summer we were obviously very heavily focused on reminiscing and taking a walk down memory lane, which I was happy with how we began in the now, and then we did take it back a little bit with Mike, too, which is great. So we'll look forward to doing it, uh, doing that again with some more guests as we continue our podcast throughout the season here. Yeah, hopefully some live guests. We have yeah. guys right in the middle here and, and chat up, chat with them a little bit, I know. Um, you know, I, th- I think like we've talked about a lot over the summer. The goal is to do these once a month at, at a minimum mm-hmm. in season, depending on the, the months and travel schedule. We might be able to do a little bit more, uh, but it'll be good to get, you know, some of these players in here. We talk to them, get to know them a little bit more, you know, outside of the the rink you could say even though we're in the rink but you know (laughs) off the ice is the best way to put it kind of get to know their personalities a bit more which i think is exciting because we got we talked about it last night there's a a great group of guys in that locker room there are no bad apples in there they're all everybody's bought in everybody's excited to be here and uh they're just good people so we're excited to have guys like that around as we wrap here because i know you need to get out the door because sometimes the only time to run a good errand is over the lunch hour during the hockey season. That's yep. real. Yep. Um, but we are October, looking into November. What are some of the promotions that fans should be looking at for listening to this podcast and thinking, hey, I'd like to come to a wild game in November? Yeah, so uh, really wrapping up October, we've got our Fright Night, our Halloween game. So come dressed in your Halloween costume. Show that off ahead of time. Uh, we'll have some trick-or-treating on the concourse for the kids pregame. So different, different uh, candy stations set up. A lot of Halloween-themed uh, elements during the game as well. And then in November, I mean, we've only got three home games in November, which mm-hmm. is crazy, but uh, they're, they're three pretty big ones. We've got our school day game, which I know is your favorite. Um, it is. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that one as well. It's going to be so loud. I think we've got like 6,000 kids, 6,000 tickets out for schools, which is So bring amazing. my, my earplugs. Yeah, the bring earplugs. Yeah. But we'll have that. So that's going to be on day. the 3rd. The following night, Hockey Fights Cancer Night. We'll have mystery pucks on sale like we did last year. We'll be recognizing survivors throughout the game. We'll have I Fight For cards, which people can actually fill out uh, this coming weekend. We're going to take those cards and kind of decorate the outside of the locker room. So as guys come in, it'll be all decorated with you know who people fight for. And then the last one in November is our Veterans Appreciation Game, which will have a hat giveaway, specialty camo jersey that matches the hat. Uh, we'll be recognizing you know veterans throughout as well uh, in partnership with the ALS Association, who is heavily involved with uh, with veterans who are you know, going through their battle with ALS as well. So uh, not a ton of games, but a couple of really exciting ones Some for sure. Some juicy ones, Yeah, yes. on the promo schedule, absolutely. IowaWild.com or 515-564-8700 to get your tickets to any of those games. Correct. Uh, Joey, thank you for this. Uh, great to pinch one of these in here in the yeah. middle of the season. I like it. I like keeping promises. We said we were going to do this in season. I think when we said that, we were like, we hope we're going to be able to yeah. do it. So to do the first one yeah. to me is, is great. Once uh, we got through opening week, I was like, we should probably throw yeah, one of these on the calendar yeah, and yeah. get it done. Yeah. And we said, yeah, yeah, let's let's squeeze yeah. it in. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yes. Thanks to Joey Goldstein, to Marquise Jones, as well as to general manager of the Iowa Wild, Mike Murray, for a ton of time here today. Really appreciated that and hope you, the fans, enjoyed it as well. And a big thanks, as always, to our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Episode 13 of Riding the Bus, the official Iowa Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota. Until next time, for Joey Goldstein, I'm Ben Gislason. Two honks for the win. Thanks.